Hi, and welcome to this audio edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. On this program, we discuss polygamy and Mormon fundamentalism from a biblical Christian perspective. We talk about the history of polygamy, its modern-day fruit, share stories from people who have escaped polygamy, and talk about current events relating to polygamy. You can learn more about the video edition of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. And now, here's Doris. Welcome to Polygamy, What Love Is This? I'm your host, Doris Hansen. You know, Jesus invited all who are heavy burdened to come to him and rest because his burden is easy and light. And so we continue to encourage our polygamous viewers to reject their burden of polygamy and accept his invitation. Before we get started on today's show, we want you to know that we help people escape polygamy. We provide safe housing and and uh, transitioning and, and uh, whether it's short term or long term, we help people leave. We also help people realize that God really did not command polygamy and he will not be angry at anyone for leaving. You can find out how we can help by calling toll-free at 877-425-9993. You can also go to our website, shieldandrefuge.org, and we would be happy to discuss confidentially your situation. If you want to contact us about our show or have any questions or comments about our show or like to be a guest, we have an email that you could do that in, email at what love is this dot tv also audio versions of our program are now available to download you can find information on how to do that on our website's main page you can go to soundcloud.com com dot uh, or slash what love is this in addition to soundcloud we also have uh, our show on itunes uh, podcast so now we would like to so there's various ways of getting our program that's good uh and I thanks know it. it's great it is it? wonderful isn't it scott does a great job oh he's got scott a lot Johnson. done and his updates our website every once in a while to keep it yeah. always looking good so yeah. anyway co-host earl thanks, thanks for, for having being me here and yes. sharing in all of this information that we want our viewers to yeah. get a hold of yeah. you know we're always looking for information and material that is relevant uh, to our mission of helping polygamists understand that polygamy did not originate from God, nor does he require it or reward it in heaven. Recently, I heard about and I subsequently purchased a book entitled Mormonism Against Itself, written by Raymond D. Moore. Now, this book details how from the beginning, Mormonism and its doctrine, its speakers, and its prophets have consistently contradicted themselves about historical events and also about what they actually believe. This is particularly important for Mormon polygamists to understand that if the foundation isn't reliable, the rest of it also cannot be reliable. This is part three of our review of major topics covered in that book. Now, since the Mormon church does and has always claimed to be the only true church, it places itself in a position that demands close investigation and scrutiny. They've never proven these claims with irrefutable, uh, irrefutable facts, but God gave us brains and he instructs <laughs> us to use them and determine 
truth from error. Because we recently did several shows on the veracity of the Book of Mormon, which they claim is the keystone of the Mormon religion, we won't present the same details again, although some of them are covered in this book. So the next topic that we're going to discuss begins on page 107, which is the translation of the Book of Mormon. How does Mormonism contradicts itself in how the Book of Mormon came about, specifically the method of translating, or was there any translating? Oliver Cowdery uh, records a letter that he wrote to his brother describing his work as a Smith's, Joseph Smith's scribe. In part, the letter said this. Yeah, from Oliver Cowdery. Day after day I continued, uninterrupted, to write from his mouth as he translated with the Urim and Thummim, or as the Nephites would have said, interpreters, the history or record called the Book of Mormon. Okay, so we have the Urim and Thummim being used as translators or interpreters, right. not translators actually. Right. So Smith claimed that he translated the Book of Mormon using uh, the Urim and Thummim. Martin Harris said this, <laughs> He said that the prophet possessed a seer stone by which he was enabled to translate as well as from the Urim and Thummim. And for convenience, he then used the seer stone. Okay, so <laughs> we have to ask the question, why did he need gold plates if a seer stone was more convenient? Yeah. A newspaper article at that time said this. Yeah, from David Whitmer. He did not use the plates in the translation, but would hold the interpreters to his eyes and cover his face with a hat, excluding all light, and before his eyes would appear the characters, and below would appear the translation. Okay, so Joseph Smith did not use gold plates. Yeah. He used the Urim and Thummim or the seer stone in a hat. So why, have, why did he even have the gold plates if he didn't need to use them? Such a good question. Good question. You know, contradictions, of course, abound about this important story of translating the gold plates. No one ever saw them with their physical eyes, so we only have his word that they even existed at all, and of course, on what was on them, too. And God tells us that we need at least two or three witnesses to establish a matter. And since there were no eyewitnesses, who can confirm the correct translation? And in the end, Joseph Smith never needed them anyway because he used the seer stone in a hat. Now, the gold plates and their translation is the very foundation mm -hmm. of Mormonism. So how can the religion that has been built upon conflicting stories ever be trusted? It wasn't until very recently, just the past couple of years, that the LDS Church itself finally officially admitted that Joseph Smith used the seer stone to create the Book of Mormon, but they vehemently denied it up until that point in time. We have a picture of Joseph Smith and how it looks like that he really translated there with his face in the hat, and we have a quote from the link on the screen of a BYU website denying the validity of Mormonism based on Joseph Smith using a seer stone in his hat. We quote from some of this article. Such an, from the article, it says, such an ex explanation, which the use of a treasure-digging seer stone in a hat, 
is, in our judgment, simply fiction created for the purpose of demeaning Joseph Smith and to undermine the validity of the relations he re revelations he received after translating the Book of Mormon. That was in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. in the year 2000. Yeah. Two BYU professors wrote that article. It was published by the Deseret News, all Mormon authorized stuff. And now these two, these two professors called the Seer Stone fiction yeah. that undermines Joseph Smith's work. But not too many years after that, the LDS official statement came out that confirmed that Joseph Smith did utilize a rock in a hat to produce the Book of Mormon text. They even showed a picture yeah. of the rock. They'd had that rock in their vault all these years while they were denying that it was a fact. Now, we have to ask our viewers who depend upon Joseph Smith and his polygamy and his teachings, do you really want to entrust your eternal existence on the basis of an untrustworthy source that can't even be honest about its origins? Shouldn't a church be honest about its history? In fact, shouldn't a church be honest about yeah, exactly. everything? <laughs> so, next we're going to discover, uh, discuss, discuss from page 113 the practice of baptizing for the dead. How is Mormonism against itself in that? Now, we must express a disclaimer here. Very few polygamy groups actually baptize for the dead. Do they now, believe in some it? Some do, yeah. some don't. Okay. It just depends on where they put their focus. The mainline Mormon church, of course, builds expensive temples all over the world to do this. And to be a member in good standing, a person must hold a valid temple recommend. One cannot hold a valid temple recommend unless they pay full tithing, which means paying money to enable God to save them. Now, part of holding a temple recommends includes doing your duty of baptizing for those who died without hearing of or accepting Mormonism. This gives the dead person a second chance to choose to be a Mormon and go to Mormon heaven. It's interesting that Book of Mormon Mormonism does not recognize or regulate baptism mm -hmm. for the dead. And if the Book of Mormon contains the fullness of the gospel, why doesn't it condone or even teach baptism for the dead? We want to quote something Joseph Smith said. This doctrine presents in a clear light the wisdom and mercy of God in preparing an ordinance for the salvation of the dead. Being baptized by proxy, their names are recorded in heaven and they judged according and they're judged according to the deeds done in the body. This doctrine was the burden of the scriptures. Those saints who neglected in behalf of their deceased relatives do it at the peril of their own salvation. Wow. I know, wow. Now, he said that this was the burden of the scriptures, but I would like to know which scriptures. It certainly isn't the burden of the Bible, and it's not the burden of the Book of Mormon either, because the Book of Mormon is against a second chance after death. Note also that Joseph Smith stated that those who don't baptize for dead relatives are neglecting their own salvation which makes Mormon, a Mormon his own savior. Yeah. <laughs> Something he has to do to save himself. This, of course, is beyond comprehension because only Jesus is the savior. We want to quote what John Taylor said. How can men be saviors unless they save somebody that our fathers who have lived without the gospel and without the light of truth be baptized for them? So according to Joseph Smith <laughs> yeah. and John Taylor, who were prophets, Baptism for the dead is essential and makes them saviors of themselves and others. Now we'll see how Mormonism teaches baptism for the dead is useless. We'll begin with the Book of Mormon. Okay. 
And for that same spirit which doth possess your bodies at the time ye go out of this life, that same spirit will have power to possess your body in that eternal world. For behold, if ye have procrastinated the day of your repentance even until death, behold, ye have become subjected to the spirit of the devil, and he doth seal you his. Therefore the spirit of the Lord hath to withdrawn from you, for you and hath no place in you and the devil hath all power over you and this is the final state of the wicked the final state yeah. okay that 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 leaves no room for a second chance afterward and surely a baptizing for the dead was a original uh, belief that would have been inserted yeah, here in sure the Book of Mormon, at least at this point. Yeah. So the teaching is clear, no second chance after death. And it doesn't, by the way, the Book of Mormon doesn't say it just once. First Nephi says this. Wherefore, if the wicked should die in their wickedness, they must be cast off also. Okay, so yeah. they're, they're cast die. off, no second chance. So those who die without repentance get no second chance, and that's what baptism of the dead is supposed to fix. Now, First Nephi says it again. Yeah, in chapter 10, verses 21-22, If ye have sought to do wickedly in the days of your probation, then ye are found unclean before the judgment seat of God, and no unclean thing can dwell with God, Wherefore ye must be cast off forever. And so that it's a forever thing. You know, this is this is very final the way these words are put. Yeah. It's a great example of Mormonism being against itself. It teaches opposing viewpoints and from official sources. Now we know that there are always those who try to cite Bible passages to prove odd doctrines of Mormonism, and this is one of them. They quote 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to prove that the New Testament teaches baptism for the dead, but it doesn't. Let's read the verses. <laughs> yeah, I used to read this a lot. She was. 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 30. Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead, if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Now, it's very important to notice the pronouns yes. and the placing of these pronouns in these two verses. Now, Paul is writing to the Christians at the church in Corinth, referring to them as we and us. In verse 29, Paul asks the question, why are they baptized for the dead? Now, they is not we or us. <laughs> right. They are those who are other than we or us. We Christians do not baptize for the for the dead. And in fact, notice in context the next verse 30, which says we. Verse 29 says they, obviously we and they, are a separate group of people. And even at that, this is a statement about those who baptize for the dead. It is not a command to do it, nor is it a recording, a, a doctrine that right. should be followed. It's sure. not there at all. And finally, context is supreme. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians is all about resurrection and has no context of baptizing or baptizing for the dead. So our next topic is something that Brigham Young taught frequently that the LDS deny today. Some polygamists don't believe this, but most of them do believe it. Really? I've spoken with many of them, of course, who do, and that topic is Adam is God. Hmm. Now, Mormonism has been against itself on this topic as well. That might yeah. be hard for modern-day Mormons to believe, but it's true. Yeah. We quote from page 118. Most Mormons have never heard of the teaching, but the doctrine was taught and was a prominent feature of Mormonism in the 19th century. 
It was a big deal then. It was. In denying this belief, they must deny Brigham Young was a true prophet and that their leaders can lead the people astray, which makes for a shaky and a crumbling foundation. Another quote like this from Brigham Young. When our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden, he came into it with a celestial body and brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize this world. He is Michael, the archangel, the ancient of days, about whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our Father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. Jesus was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden and who is our Father in heaven. Now that's pretty clear. Uh, yeah, it is very clear. It's not shady or, no. or shaky or, or cloudy at all. This is clearly not a theory. And it's not his personal opinion as some people claim it was. Brigham Young stated that Adam was a polygamist, that Eve was one of his wives, that Adam is also Michael the Archangel and is our father and God and is the physical father oh, of Jesus. Jesus. And yet they, ta they taught that confusion and mocked the Trinity. You know, I just shake my head. We have another quote from Brigham Young. <laughs> Some have grumbled because I believe our God to be so near to us as Father Adam. There are many who know that doctrine to be true. Okay, so he's stating it he's as stating a fact, yeah. not as an opinion. Now, this was official doctrine at that time. Of course, there's more. Yeah, Franklin Richards uh, quoted in the Millennial Star, Concerning the item of doctrine that Adam is our father and God, I have to say, do not trouble yourselves. There are those who are waiting at the door of the church for this objection to be removed. The prophet and apostle Brigham has declared it, and that it is the word of the Lord. It is the word of the Lord. Okay, that's not opinion. That That is Brigham Young is straight from the Lord's mouth. And he claimed that uh, it did come from God. Eliza R. Snow wrote this about that. Boy, Adam is our father and God. He is the God of the earth. Adam is the great archangel of this creation. He is Michael. He is the Ancient of Days. He is the father of our elder brother, Jesus Christ, the father of him who shall also come as Messiah to reign. Wow. Interesting. Now, <laughs> people might say, well, Eliza Snow is not official doctrine, but she was taught this. That's why she said it, because she was taught it, and she was a plural wife of Brigham Young, so she got it straight from the horse's mouth, as it were. There are dozens more quotes affirming their belief that Adam is God, and we cannot take the time to read them all, but they also teach Adam is not God. Let's begin with a quote from Mormon historian B.H. Roberts. Yeah. As a matter of fact, the Mormon church does not teach that doctrine, which is Adam is God. So Adam is God, Adam is not God. Another one from... The Grand Richards. The Grand Richards. Is the Adam God doctrine as taught in the Journal of Discourses true? Answer, no. So they taught it was true, <laughs> now they're saying it's not true. Well, it was about 1905 that they get, began to move away from the Adam God doctrine. Bruce McConkie said this. Yeah, this is a letter to Eugene England. He says, yes, President Young did teach that Adam was the father of our spirits and all of the related things that the cultists ascribed to him. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, however, is not true. He expressed views that are out of harmony with the gospel. Wise gospel students do not build their philosophies of life on the quotation of in, qu quotations of individuals, even though those quotations come from presidents of the church. Wow. 
So which is it? The dead ones are just yeah, pushed off to pushed the aside, side, swept they? aside. If you can't believe the presidents and the prophets who won't lead you astray, who can you believe? These contradictions show that Mormonism is against itself. These doctrines cannot be true and untrue at the same time, nor can they have come from the same God. They teach something is true, then later deny it was true, and even deny that it was even taught. How can they find fault with the Bible when they have this kind of roller coaster history? Another huge contradiction was um, from the building of the Nauvoo House, yeah. and we're going to start by reading Doctrine and Covenants 124, or from Doctrine and Covenants 124. Yeah, I think if an honest Mormon would read section 124, they would all of a sudden start seeing things. This was so shocking to me when, well, I, when, I, when I read 124. And now, were you reading it before, no, the, when no. you were still investigating, or after it, you had... While I was investigating. You no. did? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it just was shocking. I was just so surprised at all that was in there. And now I say unto you, as pertaining to my boarding house, which I have commanded you to build for the boarding of strangers, let it be built unto my name, and let my name be named upon it, and let my servant Joseph and his house have place therein from generation to generation. Therefore let my servant Joseph and his seed after him have place in that house from generation to generation forever and ever, saith the Lord. And let the name of that house be called Nauvoo House, and let it be a delightful habitation for man and a resting place for the weary traveler. So this was supposed to be some kind of a hotel that, yeah. that they would put people up in, and it was supposed to be in Joseph Smith's family, and and um, he would stay in there forever, and, yeah. and when he died, his children would stay in there forever and ever. Yeah. Now, well, and they even have a discussion about donations, and you can pay and be part of the system if you'll contribute to it and, and the funds that should be contributed. It's just funny to read it. It's interesting. doesn't sound very godlike. Yeah, it's not godly when you compare it with biblical scripture. Now, so, so Joseph Smith said that God said that he and his posterity would occupy the Nauvoo house from generation to generation, but before it was even completed, Joseph Smith was killed. Oops. <laughs> oops is a big oops. His descendants, he never even lived in it. Well, not at all. And his de descendants did not inherit the Nauvoo house, and they certainly did not live in it forever. Now, the question being, did, did God know that this was going to happen? If he did, why did he have Joseph Smith prophesy an impossibility? And if God did not know that it was going to happen, then maybe it wasn't God who has given Joseph Smith his prophecies. To explain this, they say that Joseph Smith changed revelations. Mm. Well, some of them say this. Yeah. Uh, because God would update certain revelations, and, and that's when he would update them they to be... They call that line upon line, precept on precept or something. But is that legitimate? Wouldn't, you know, if, if, if he made a revelation based on the original prophecy and God updated it, why, sh why didn't he inform the people of the updates? Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't that be what you expect? Yeah. Um, and should your salvation, my question is, for anybody, whether you're polygamist or LDS or whomever, should your salvation be entrusted to the teachings of people who have lied about doctrinal and historical changes in their religion? And which history is true? The, the history of the LDS Church um, produces today, which is quite 
Cloroxed, or the history the polygamy groups teach from. They, they teach more closely to the actual history. There is a reason that polygamists are called fundamentalists. That's right. <laughs> you know? Back to the basics. And this one would, would touch you. Which Book of Mormon is true? The original 1830 Book of Mormon or today's yeah, Book of Mormon? That was huge. Yeah, because it's been changed so many times. For up to 4,000, over yeah. 4,000 changes, and many of them are doctrinal. That's right. And so, and that did, in fact, you did your, your what, 17 minute video based on your studies yeah, of the when, two Books of Mormon? When I got into 1 Nephi chapter 11 and uh, and chapter 13 and then uh, verse 40 I think it is and found out that the doctrine of God had been changed it says Jesus is the father and then later it said Jesus is the son of the father and that's and a big difference that's a big difference yeah mm -hmm. and then I could see over a period of time how jo Joseph Smith's whole f concept of, of Jesus and God had changed which led me to believe that 1820 his first vision supposedly could never have really happened exactly. the way he said it did, or he wouldn't have written that the way he wrote it. Right, and yeah. and, and the you know I can see different perceptions changing as as you grow and mature in, in your faith, but not actual huge doctrinal changes like not he like made. This. Well, and and there's other scriptures. I think he just started going back through his Book of Mormon, and started seeing that he he couldn't live with those comments that he had made earlier so he made the change would make changes but he didn't go very far because there's a lot of other places where it talks about uh, them there the God uh, there's only one God and uh, that's mm -hmm. in Alma 11 mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Mosiah 15 where it says God himself shall come and mm -hmm. dwell in flesh and uh, so yeah, which is very contradictory. To, yeah, closer, very closer to the to truth than, than what it uh, what yeah. he ended up. And I think I've heard this as as a comment that somebody somebody said. And I don't know if it's true or not. But Joseph Smith was finally got tired of the Book of Mormon and having to defend those kinds of things and was <laughs> like, gee, could I just get rid of, you know, could I just be through with, with the Book of Mormon? I have to look that quote up. You yeah, probably that heard would that be, too. Yeah, that would be an interesting quote yeah, to use on the show like, sometime yeah. because that, that is uh, so true. He did not follow the Book of Mormon teachings after that. Even the Doctrine and Covenants yeah. doesn't follow. It. There's a lot of contradiction in that. And then the Book of Abraham, which totally blows out yeah. uh, the, uh, well, well the, you already pointed out the baptism for the dead. Mm -hmm. That's not in there. Three degrees of glory is not in the Book of Mormon mm -hmm. or anything about us becoming like God. Yeah. yeah. Or exactly. that God was once a man. That's not there. Or families are forever. That's not there. And polygamy, of course. Polygamy, of course, yeah. So these questions that we talk about on our show, um, the people who believe and follow these false prophets, your salvation is important. You really do need to check these things out, and that's what we always ask you to do. And, you know, in Second Thessalonians, it tells us that those who do not love the truth will not be saved. It's important to investigate, inquire, and discover the truth. Now, we have two more parts going. This is yeah. the end of, of part um, three. We have part four, and we also have part five coming because there's oh, good, so much good. in the book, and um, and we'll cover a lot of other things and ways that the Mormonism is against itself. So I thank you, you very much. You know, just Happy before be Jesus took his last breath on the cross, he said in a loud voice, "It is finished." Now he wasn't saying the crucifixion was finished. He was saying that the work for our salvation is finished, done, completed, nothing left out. 
nothing more to do but believe it. A friend on Facebook has expressed it like this. When we take a finished work like the Mona Lisa and decide to add a little more paint here and there, what happens to the painting? If we attempt to add to our own works to God's finished work on Jesus on the cross, it becomes corrupt and useless. And you know, that is so true. We cannot add to perfection. And Jesus' work for us on the cross was perfect. So we can rest in belief and faith that it is finished and finished perfectly. So stop working and start believing. Thank you for watching. See you next time. God bless. This has been the audio podcast edition of Polygamy, What Love Is This? This program is a production of A Shield and Refuge Ministry and Main Street Church of Brigham City. You can view current and past video episodes as well as download audio episodes of this program at whatloveisthis.tv. If you or someone you know is in need of assistance in leaving a polygamous situation, please contact us. We are here to help. All of our contact information can be found at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 877-425-9993. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our other programs, we'd love to hear from you. Write us at email at whatloveisthis.tv. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again.